Hello and welcome out there to the next part in our limited podcast series on planning for a successful customer service strategy in 2020, where today we're going to talk about how to measure the customer experience. I'm your host, Michael Kramer, and I'm the head of marketing at AgriSync. For those of you who might be unfamiliar with AgriSync, we provide a software platform that helps simplify communication for modern agriculture through voice, text, and video. To learn more about AgriSync, visit us at agrisync.com. That's A-G-R-I-S-Y-N-C.com. Or to see a short three-minute demo, check out agrisync.com slash demo. For this episode, we're going to speak to Drake University's Professor of Marketing, Heidi Manitor, who will help us better understand how to measure the customer experience. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kramer. I'm with AgriSync. And today I am here to talk to Heidi Manitor from Drake University. She's a professor of marketing. And we're going we're gonna to take a little bit deeper dive into measuring customer success. They've often said if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And one of the things that we have been talking about on this limited series podcast has been the idea of improving our customer service and our customer success and the customer experience that we have. But we really haven't talked much about how can we actually measure this to make sure that it is working well. So we brought Heidi in today. Uh, but first, I definitely want to make sure that um, we thank our friends over at Precision Farming Dealer, who is allowing us to put this limited podcast series on. Um, in addition to that, if you'd like to learn more about this and the other podcasts that we have, be sure to go to agrisync.com slash customer experience. That's A-G-R-I-S-Y-N-C dot com slash customer service. But Heidi, I think you're going to tell us that it's okay if you make a mistake. You can always go back and fix things, right? That's Absolutely. Part? All right, good. Yes. Heidi, you're a professor at Drake. You, you focus on marketing, but uh, the reason I brought you in here today is because as we talked about, we want to measure the customer experience. We, it, it's good to, I think there's a, a point in time where we can say, I think things have gotten better. How do you know if things have gotten better, right? And so that's what we're going to talk to you about today. So so let me, let me start off by asking, measuring customer mm-hmm. service, measuring customer happiness or engagement, how do you even do something like that? Well, you first have to start with a baseline. And so you have to understand in your organization what's important to you. Okay. And that is a strategic conversation. That is not something that you should uh, just kind of shoot from the hip and say, I think this might be what is important to our organization. It really needs to be a conversation that you have with the senior leadership of your team and um, identify like these are the things that we want to mark as success. Sure. We want to be known for, you know, wonderful customer service, or we okay. want to be known for the highest quality product. Like what is the thing that is most important strategically to the growth of your organization? For some of your uh, customers, they may find that they are the only show in town, like that they're the only ones that yeah. are um, providing a certain service or a certain kind of um, product to the marketplace. And in, in that case, maybe loyalty isn't as important to measure because the consumer doesn't have a lot of different choice, right? They're right. going to use this right. provider because they're the one that's convenient. So then satisfaction becomes the most important metric that you want to uh, look okay. at. Whereas um, if you are looking at building loyalty and wanting to get better brand growth and better word of mouth, then something like the net promoter score would be a way oh, that you okay. could do that. And so it really depends on what's strategically important to the organization that's going to help you decide, like, how do you start and what kind of questions do you ask to get that baseline? Well, you know, we... Or the audience that is that is listening today is primarily, if primarily, if not exclusively, really focuses on um, the ag world, right? Mm-hmm. Servicing um, farmers themselves, and I think that it that is tends to be uh, an industry that is built off of relationships. So now you have to go out and measure 
relationships. But I think what you're, what you're talking about is something that maybe not everyone always thinks about, right? And that is the idea that you, you want to find out what you are first before, I mean, I guess you can always go out and ask, but I think that the ask has to be intentional. Is that a fair, is that a fair statement? Yes. So before you start doing research in this space, you're going to want to have a really clear vision as what outcome that you're looking to get or what story you're trying to tell. Right? If you're trying to frame up a narrative about, about your organization providing fabulous service or being best at building relationship building, for example, then the questions that you ask to determine that baseline should yep. be structured around that. So you may not want to focus on product-specific questions because it may not be relevant. It might be more about the customer experience, about the, um, you know, do you feel like this, um, this individual treated you well or provided a yeah. high level of service? Like Those kinds of questions are going to be more important than did this thing technically work the way you want it. Yeah. And so it, what kind of culture does your organization have? What is it that you're trying to drive out? Because you only get to ask a couple questions before you start to lose your audience. And so what <laughs> my best practice when you're creating a baseline yep. um, is what I, what I tell my client or my customers is that you don't want to ask any more than five questions. And oh, if you okay. can keep it to three or under, wow. that's ideal, which means you have to be very strategic in the selection of those questions yeah. because if you give someone a long survey, they, they're going to lose interest interest halfway through, and they may not complete it. You may not get the data that you want to be able to. Well, I think that, I think that's a little bit of a conundrum, though, if you ask me, because I want to know mm -hmm. the answer to twenty questions. Yes, but this the idea of three to five questions is not twenty. Yes. So okay, and I and I know that uh, they teach master's classes on uh, asking survey questions, right? Yeah. And, and actually having put some together myself, they're, they're tough. It's, and sometimes it, it seems that they're easy to go into until you get the results and someone says, well, what do you think they meant by that? And you're like, oh man. We could have worded that question We, we, should, we could have worded that yes. question. Okay. Give us a little bit of tips on, or, or, or talk a little bit about the, the limiting the questions from 20, 50 that I really, really want to ask. Yeah. Down to three to five is, is there a good way to do this? Is there templates out there? I mean, just just get us started on that. Um, sure. So there are templates out there. You can do a Google search for net promoter score or for customer satisfaction ratings, yeah. and they'll kind of tee you up down a path. SurveyMonkey has a customer satisfaction survey prepackaged and ready to go that you can use for yeah. free as long as you're only sending it out to a handful of people. They'll start charging you when you, you know, expand your list. Sure. Um, but there's all sorts of tools out there that can help with kind of determining what those questions are. When it comes to net promoter score, which is a metric of loyalty, yep. the key question there and, and what some of the literature argues about net promoter score is you really only ask, need to ask one question. One question. And how likely are you to refer this product or service to a friend is the one question. Um, and so from there, if you put it on a Likert scale, which is like a one to 10 scale, okay. and anything that's an eight, nine, or 10 is a promoter, and that's a good thing. Yep. And anything that is seven or below is a bad thing. Oh. The, uh, right? <laughs> okay. And so that, that isn't that pretty You're not graded on a curve is what no, you're saying. Okay, no, no. Right. A seven and a six are neutral, and, a, and five and below are detractors, detractors on the net promoter score, which makes it really challenging. And what you find in cultures that use net promoter score is they become very interested in saying, okay, we weren't rated an eight or nine. How can I get there? Yep. And that kind of follow-up can sometimes turn customers off. You've ever been in a situation where you've gone taking your car in for service and yep. been asked to provide a rating after the fact and kind of been teed up to give somebody a high rating. Um, and you can even <laughs> see this in fast food drive-throughs where they you'll get a receipt that'll say, you know, if I didn't get a high rating, tell me why. Because that's a culture that's really focused on that net promoter sure. score. And so if you're going to make that part of your organization, be strategic about how you do it and use it more as a listening tool than oh, the, sure. the gospel. 
right? You want, it's one of the many things yeah. that you can do to assess the climate in your organization and how well customers are interacting with you. But companies that rely on Net Promoter Score for just social or exclusively for promotions yeah. for bonuses, it can almost create a toxic environment. So measuring is good, but you have to be careful how much focus you put on it as part sure. of the career development of your individuals. Well, I mean that influence, like you said, I think that you know the. We as humans tend to react to incentives. And you're, you you just mentioned two different types. Hey, Mr. And Mrs. Customer, how did I do? Oh, by the way, you'll get a free uh, hamburger if you if you take this. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I look at that and I see free hamburger. Answer, I would have five, 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 five out of, ten, out of five, right? That's exactly right. But, you, but you, you just mentioned something. I want to come back to that in a second. But you also just mentioned something internally, too. Because if I'm incentivized as, um, if, if my job is to go out there and make sure that my producers are happy, and I think that we should be incentivizing to do things to make, you can get into some situations where uh, you might get some adverse behaviors. Yes. Where people are coaching to the survey, coaching where they're coaching the their clients sure. to the survey, right? And I, I've actually experienced this myself in the car dealership situation, the place I get my car service, mm -hmm. that if I, they say, we need fives, please rate us a five. If you're not going to rate us a five, come talk to us and mm -hmm. don't do the rate. Well, that's gaming the system, mm. right? Especially they had a 4.5 or above. Uh -huh, right? yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it is a great way to solicit customer feedback mm -hmm. from people who aren't satisfied or maybe, you know, I tend to be a hard grader. I'll sure. give people a four if I'm satisfied. If you surprised and delighted me, then you get a five. But okay. if you did enough, I'm going to give you a four. Mm -hmm. It's not that you did anything wrong. It's just that it wasn't, you know, a magical experience. And right. there are a lot of people that way that are hard. You know, they don't give away high scores easily. And so, like, you know, it being sure. getting at the follow-up email and follow-up phone call saying, why did you give us a four, makes the consumer really uncomfortable. It may not have been a real considered thought, right? These surveys are things you take in 30 seconds and they're out of your life and you never right. want to think about it again. Right. If you get that follow-up call, how does that make you feel as a consumer? Uncomfortable? Like, right. And so, yes, you've got to be really careful with how you use these and, and instead of using it for the basis of all promotions and all performance evaluations, it can be a tool. But it I would not make it an exclusive tool. All right, it's a tool. I um, mean, we've been talking about the net promoter score. Uh, so real quick, just give us a real quick recap of that because we, we, we kind of flew through that, but it's, it's something, NPS, yep. is something that it's, it's often called. Um, even people who use the net promoter score just refer to it as NPS, yes. and they don't even know what it necessarily stands, stands for. for. But I want to say, um, I guess I've been using this, and I've been marketing for my entire career, so 15, 16 years, but the idea is, it's still a relatively newish type. Is, is that a fair? I, mean, um, I teach a net promoter score case study that was written by Enterprise. Enterprise Rent a Car is really sure. the place where it kind of originated, where it got a lot of mass appeal, a lot of companies. Yep. Um, and that case study was taught to me in grad school in 2006. Okay. And so it's been around for quite a while. Um, so net promoter score NPS is yep. the idea that um, you want to find out. It's a loyalty metric, and you want to find out okay. who's loyal to your brand. It is right. not necessarily a customer satisfaction metric. Ah. It is a loyalty metric, and that loyalty is that, would you tell about us with a friend is kind of the question yeah. that you want to ask. Would you recommend us to you know, some, a friend or a family member? Yep. Um, which is very different than um, being a satisfied customer. An example I teach in class when I talk about this is a convenience store that might be near my house. Like yep. I may go to this convenience store all the time and get gas from them, and I could be... Um, a regular customer and a repeat customer and they're going to see that I'm highly engaged or think that I'm highly engaged with the brand, but it might just be convenient. 
Sure. I'm not going to be a raving fan of that convenience store and go out and tell everyone you need to go to this store to get your gas because they have the best gas or the best attendance. Yeah, whatever, sure. Right. It's a convenience thing. And so you have to, that's the only thing you have to be careful with when you're looking at repeat buyers and, um, you know, people who look like they're loyal, like yeah. are they loyal to you because it's convenient or are they loyal to you because they have a really strong feeling about you. It's strong enough to recommend yeah. your service to somebody else. Well, that, so this is, this is very interesting because our, our listening audience deals with uh, rural communities often, mm -hmm. right? And convenience in a rural community drives a lot of action. Yes, it does. Right. I mean, we go to uh, this pizza place because it is, the pizza place. It's yeah. not a pizza place. Or we place. go to the, grocery, or the grocery store or the yeah. convenience store because it's the only one in town. I grew up in a town like that. My parents still you live know, in a town like that. Um, I haven't taught a marketing class myself in the past. I always talk about P. You know, I, I talk about the seven P's, but I mean, you know, the, the classic four P's of marketing. I say it's the forgotten P because place, because place is a part of that strategy, right? Like sometimes there's only room for one grocery store. Sometimes there's only room for one ag advisor, yep. right? So being in that place, just being there is a differentiator, That's exactly right? right? And sometimes, and unless the service is so bad, it takes a lot for that customer to go elsewhere. But if yes. you're loyal, uh, I have, I have a, uh, I go to this, this one gym and there's, there's a young woman there that she, she drives 45 minutes to go to the gym just cause she's so what she literally passes dozen gyms. And that is customer loyalty. And I guarantee she is telling her friends about that gym. Yes. And that is what, friends. if you're using that promoter score, that is what you're trying to get after. Okay. There are other metrics that are great that you can use that are not NPS that will drive out other customer satisfaction elements. Okay. So, but, but if you're trying to get to that kind of loyalty, your friend's loyalty, that gym loyalty, the net home promoter score is the way to get that. So I'm going to talk in a, in a moment, I'm going to talk about some of these other ways that we can measure because it's not all about the net promoter score, but since we're, we're, we're on this topic, I just want to dive a little bit deeper. Talk about some of the noise that happens, right? Because I have been very happy with my ag advisor for years, mm -hmm. but guess what? Today, uh, it, it, it's wet season. It, it hasn't been, the, 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 the crop hasn't been going in the way I wanted to. I just got in a fight with my spouse. Um, and you, in the part that I ordered, whatever it is, is, is a week late. Guess who's not getting a seven or above? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And so you have to be really careful when you're looking at the output of those kind of surveys because right. you don't know what else is influencing them. Right. And so you may want to assess customer satisfaction through multiple touches and many okay. different ways um, and not just have it be a one and done. Um, and that's when follow-up can be helpful and, and asking you know, what happened in this situation. The other thing is if you have a situation where something just goes wrong, the part is a week late or it's installed incorrectly or yeah. um, what most people that aren't in marketing are fascinated to learn is that when you have an opportunity for service recovery or product mm -hmm. recovery like that, it's an opportunity to build relationships. Oh, sure. And so, you know, being upfront and saying we messed up. And this is how we're going to fix it yep. actually can build more customer loyalty and better customer satisfaction than if something, the sale went perfectly smoothly from the start. People are more likely to be loyal and rebuy from someone who's had a service recovery event mm -hmm. than someplace where the, the sale went seamlessly because it's another touch point for relationship building. And it shows your ethics in um, your work culture when you say, hey, we messed up and this is how I'm going to make it right. It shows the kind of company you are. It shows the kind of salesperson wow. that you are. Just because something goes wrong doesn't necessarily mean that's the end of the relationship or it's going to tank the relationship. It's actually an opportunity for your salespeople to step up to the plate, show that they have integrity and surprise and delight the company. 
Oh, that, that is an absolutely fascinating concept that I don't think people always realize. Because one thing I do know is loyalty is, um, loyalty is there until it's not. Yep. Right? Um, meaning that, uh, oh, I'm going to go, we talked about, I'm going to go to this pizza place. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to this ag advisor. They're so good. Then all of a sudden someone else comes in and it's like, oh, squirrel. And they run away because yeah. they, maybe they didn't recognize this. But what you just talked about there is something I think is super important. I will say, in my experience, people can get, be afraid of, uh, of surveys because you don't know, you may not like what you see. Yes. But what you're saying is maybe uh, that's just one thing. You, you might love what you see. You might be pleasantly surprised about what yes. you see. But what you're saying, maybe if you're not, this is an opportunity to step up the game or change the game and really try to build some loyalty. Am I hearing that right? That's exactly right. If you are getting survey feedback and, it, and it's telling you things about your company or your culture that you think are unfavorable, that's an opportunity for improvement. And when we get feedback that is negative, for many people, their automatic response is to become defensive and, yeah. and be like, oh, right. I just called on them. Or I've you know, been out to see you know, farmer so-and-so yep. three times this summer um, and, and talk about all the activities that you're doing. Yep. Instead, if you're getting feedback that is negative, say, okay, what can we do to overcome that? And, and, and not get defensive and talk about all the stuff that you've done in the past. Obviously, that stuff that you did in the past didn't get you to a place where that right. person is satisfied. And so right. take a breath, take a step back and say, what can we do to change the dynamic here yeah. so that they we can improve the environment that we're in? So one of the things that you're saying, um, you mentioned the word earlier and you've been, you, you, you really, you're, you're saying it now as well, is the idea of empowering, mm -hmm. right? So I mean, the concept of, but, but I, so I want to talk about it in this two different ways. One, the ability to empower that salesperson to to empower that ag the advisor who goes out there. Um, I want to talk about that, but also when to empower. Like, okay, like uh, if I take this survey on uh, uh, the first of the month, mm -hmm. do do I and, and I get the the, the six or below? What's to make it up, right? Mm -hmm. Do I respond on the second? Do I respond on the fifteenth, or do I wait two months? So I, I gave you two different. Let's talk about the empowering, and then we'll come back and talk about the timeliness of the empowerment to back to it. So it's funny that, cause you mentioned, I talk, I talk about in class, the three T's of customer okay. service. One is training um, and one is timing. <laughs> and then so are two of the three T's. Hey, all right, right I'm bad. Yep, you are. So the empowerment piece only can really happen at the, at the customer service level if your um, employee feels empowered to make decisions in real time. Okay. And so oh, okay. if I, you know, get off the phone with, you know, a farmer or another customer, and I can tell they're just not happy, um, or I still have them on the phone, which is yep. better yet, mm -hmm. I can do things in real time and make the decision right then, like this is how I'm going to fix them. Instead of having to go to my manager or go to my um, boss and, and, and you know strategize about how that, doing it immediately and being and be having empowerment to do that yeah. is really critical. Um, the example I teach is um, in Zappos. If somebody calls mm. and orders a pair of shoes and they're not happy with the size or the fit, whatever, the customer service person on the phone is empowered to give them a refund, to exchange them for another pair, to do whatever it takes to satisfy that customer. They don't have to escalate it up the chain. And the same would hold true with your um, clients or your customers in the kind of environments that they're yeah. in. Is you know, is the salesperson on the ground empowered to figure out how to fix this yeah. in real time? And do they feel like that their boss will have their back when they make it? And I think there's a lot of that goes into that. And that, yes. that's almost a whole other conversation in itself. Yes, because, it takes a lot of training to right, get there. Yes. Right. So, um, okay, so let's jump back a little. We talked about the NPS, and I think everything that we've been saying here 
goes beyond the NPS. It's a great way to start because I think a lot of people have heard about it. It's, it's a quick and easy. What are some other ways to potentially measure? Um, one, I'll, I'll kind of lead you with the question a little bit. Um, Focus groups. Is it, is it worth bringing in five different farmers and sitting them down and, and talking to them? Is it is it better to send out that survey monkey via email? Should you have a customer rep or a third party even call them? There's a lot of different ways, and we don't have to dive into all of them because we just don't have the time. But right. talk about maybe some of the more effective and maybe your favorite. So the answer to this question is it depends. Um, <laughs> as with almost everything, with almost everything in right? yeah. <laughs> uh, industry, like it depends on you know, how quickly you want to move, what is it that you're looking to find out, yeah. those kinds of things. Um, focus groups can be a great way to take the temperature of a room. My advice, um, we're a customer segment in this okay. case, yep. my advice to people that are looking at doing focus groups is that if you're not really interested in making change based on the feedback you get into that focus group, if you think you already have a solution in mind, you're much better off rapidly testing that in the market and getting feedback oh. in real time through a survey, Sure. Um, then you are focus grouping it. Because if you already have in your head, this is what I want to do and I want to go <clears> execute <throat> it, focus grouping will, will just slow you down. I'll okay. give you an example. I've worked for two major corporations, each spent um, about a quarter of a million dollars in doing focus group research. They did went to three different markets. They went to LA, they went to Boston, they went to Dallas. They got all of this feedback and at the end of the day, the chief executive in both companies, in both cases said, you know what? I know that this says one thing, we're gonna do something else. Yeah. I've already decided this is the path we're going to take. Well, in that case, we spent about six months doing research and a ton of money that was never used. And at the end of the day, it proved out that the research was right and we should have gone down <laughs> yeah. that path and the yeah. CEO was wrong. But if you're if you're not in a kind of environment where um, you're gonna actually look at that research and make changes based on it, I highly recommend instead, then you ask your senior leadership team, like what is the strategy we should go after? If it's something tactical, and that we can bring the market quickly, let's go and test it, and then get feedback in real time from an online survey sure. or a, um, a phone survey, and that will save you a ton of time and money. So it really depends on like timeline you're looking at, how quickly you want results, and how rapidly you are able to evolve the solution. Like okay. If you're gonna test something and see how it works, can you make changes in real time to make it better? That's the way it works a lot. As a shameless plug and friendly reminder, this is a limited podcast series focused on helping you plan for a successful customer service strategy in 2020, presented in part by AgriSync and Precision Farming Dealer. This is your host from AgriSync, Michael Kramer. To download our e-guide on measuring the customer experience and listen to other podcasts, please visit agrisync.com slash customer service. So let me ask this. So we, we talk about focus groups, and sometimes I think people think, put a group of uh, a swath, a segment, yep. slice and dice them how you want. And again, we're, we're not going to dive into all these details because there are master's level classes where they talk about here's who you get and this is the type and how many. And, and so I want to acknowledge that. Are, are there, does it, does it have to be so formalized? No. Can you go to your sales team? Can you go to your precision team and say, all right guys, this is what we're going to do. Um, uh, Heidi, you asked this type of question. Michael, you asked this type of question. Bill, you, does that work? Yep. And, and then, how do you gather that in an effective way? <laughs> yeah, so that's a great so, anecdotal data is what you're talking yes, about, then, right? Sure. So you're in the field and you're talking to a farmer. You've got to be very careful. You know, when you're talking to a customer, if it's anecdotal data that you're working with, are you going to set your whole business strategy up on a sample size of one or two customer experiences, right? Sure. And so, when you're, it, it can be a really effective way to improve things in real time. But is that customer really representative of your all of your customers? Sure. And so yeah. that's the first thing you want to look at. 
Um, in terms of like gathering that information, most organizations use some kind of CRM system, so customer relationship yeah. management system, you know, in their phone, on their tablets is what I've seen mostly in the ag sector where you're answering the questions in real time and getting that data socialized so that you end up with a bigger data set to make your decisions with. Yes. And so if you have all of your salespeople out there asking these three questions or these five questions and you're gathering that data as the interactions are occurring, then you can take a look at it in you know, a month or two yeah. and you'll have a nice pool of data that you can use right. to set your direction and make your decisions. And so having some kind of centralized database can be helpful. Barring that, like I have seen people use Excel spreadsheets to capture this data. I don't yeah. necessarily recommend that, but if you're looking like old school, quick and dirty, easy, that I, I, big corporations do that even. Anything's um, better than sitting around a table without writing it down yes, and no, just letting it go capture, into the ether. Right? Capture the information, capture, capture who it is that you talk to, sure. um, so that way you can do follow up. And yeah. um, you know, if there's someone that's excited about an idea that you're thinking about, you know, they may they may offer to help test it for you. Yeah. And I found that be a, that to be a super effective way to build relationships with key clients. So one yeah. of the companies that I work with is a major fast food company. Yeah. And what we do when we're looking at bringing new insurance products to the market, which are like super not sexy and not great to talk about. <laughs> what? No. Oh, I know. Hard to yeah, get engagement right? in. Is we go out to the biggest selling biggest grossing stores, the owners of those locations, yep. and use them as our um, subject matter experts to help test ideas. And mm -hmm. so they feel special because they know that they're in this select group that gets to help influence the products that we bring to market. And they're more likely to be honest and give you um, negative feedback up front. So you can take yep. that un under advisement and, and think about how you might make your product better. Sure. And so getting some kind of advisory committee or advisory council together of yep. key clients is a way that you could get more touch out of them. So they, you build more relationship yep. Yep. and you make them feel special and you get some of that loyalty. And so it can be a really successful way to help get engagement. And, and if you have a client that is particularly troublesome or bothersome, yep. Put them on there. You may not seem like a great idea at first because you know they're going to be the squeaky wheel, but those yep. squeaky wheels, if they feel heard, can be a great way to build loyalty and be a great way to test your product and service. That's an interesting because farmers talk. Yes, I mean, no, they do. We, one thing we didn't mention at the beginning, you you are a farmer's daughter. Yes, I'm a correct. farm kid. I grew up. Yeah. Uh, yes, I could drive a tractor before I could drive a car. You speak with uh, a lot of um, history, right, yes. of your own. And I mean, knowledge, it's... Um, institutional, but just personal from this too. Right? Oh, I know this audience very well. And yeah. and they are, farmers in general have a lot of loyalty brands yeah. it because they are in rural locations, because they don't have tons of access. The relationships are so important. And so if you're, uh, if you do, if you have a um, certain customer that you're trying to build a relationship with, putting them on an advisory committee like this is a way that you can elevate their voice, give them yep. a position in your organization that says, hey, we're listening. And then, and then if you get a handful of those kind of farmers in that kind of situation, then you've got a really great built-in focus group. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm putting Heidi completely on the spot. I mean, use some information she gave me in the past. For my advantage here, so you're, you you mentioned to me at one point in time, your dad, mm -hmm. uh, back in the 80s, yes. had a not a great experience with a banker or some, some yep. and to this day, he still doesn't think it's that big. Yeah. I don't think that this is that unusual of a situation. This could, this goes beyond farmers, but I think maybe so much. Now, let me ask you this, and this is a, pers this is a, a purely guess, mm -hmm. right, based off of but what you know. Do you think that maybe somewhere along the line, if some, that, that bank would have come to your dad and maybe ask and try to engage him in a different way. Maybe not just said, what, how do you, would you recommend us to a friend? Yeah. Maybe that would, would have engaged him. Maybe that would have slowly 
turn. If it's not, that's fine. I just, I'm just curious. I think if the right person had been in, in a relationship building position in that yeah. organization, that he may have changed his mind or his loyalty. You know, the 80s farm crisis was particularly tough. And yeah. so his loyalty to the bank that helped him in that situation yeah. is so strong that I, I think it'd be very hard for anyone to come in and break it. But the yeah. right relationship, you know, someone that was really listening in real time after 20 or 30 years, and he may have changed okay, but, his mind. But let's just take a hot second here to think about what you just said. So you're talking about loyalty. You're talking real loyalty, right, in yeah. this situation. 20 to 30 years. And okay, there was a situation back in the 80s that, that, that kind of stemmed it. But you know what? It doesn't always have to be that big of something. Oh, it, could, it can be a small something. It could be a small something, right? That's why measuring customer service or measuring the success or satisfaction is only a component of it. You have to have your team, right? We have, we have podcasts where we're going to be talking about, you know, building that dynamic team. Yep. But heaven forbid you get the wrong person and they send a customer or more down a path to where we're sitting in 2040 yep. and saying, you know what, back in 2020, there was a guy that came in really. Mm. And that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and it, not just in ag, but in other inter industries like um, in the building industry. So yeah. putting up big apartments and townhomes and sure. industrial kind of things. We see that as well, where, you know, it just takes one supplier not being able to deliver on time and that relationship is burnt forever. Um, and so you have to be really careful when you're hiring. And that is one of the things when we think about recruitment of new yep. employees yep. is so critical because if you're empowering to get back to our previous yeah, point, sure. the wrong person with the, with <laughs> yeah. the ability um, that can have a very negative outcome on your organization. And when we teach, you know, sales management and sales team development, yep. the front end of all of that is in recruitment selection. So getting the right person in the right seat, yeah. making those sales is so, so critical. Because to okay. your point, once that relationship goes south, even if they bring in a new guy or gal to try to salvage it, it could be gone already. Like there might not be anything that you can yeah, do sure. to fix it. Um, and so, yeah, selection is so critical when you're, and there are some people that are just not built for sales and relationship management. Absolutely. And so getting the right person in the yeah. right seat on the bus Super critical in these yeah. kind of circumstances. Apparently, we as humans uh, can be a little fickle and stubborn. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yes. And there's a big, <laughs> when it comes to this customer satisfaction, there is a black box of things that there's no way for us as marketing and scientists to yeah. understand that there are just some things that we won't know why that yeah. didn't work and we've got to be comfortable with like, letting that go. Well, that, that's, a, that's a good point. Got to be comfortable with doing that. Like, we, we have to. You know, one of the things I uh, we've talked about in the past. Sometimes you got to fire customers, right? Yep. And, and actually, I, I've had an experience where we tried to fire a customer and they wouldn't go away because and then the tables turned a little bit. We were always very respectful to them, but we we did have an honest conversation where we said, "It looks like maybe you'd be better suited for someone else." And then also they came. I won't say crawling back to us, but th that's not the here. That is really it, the dynamic changes, and it's because when you when you enter in, and I think the the audience can really understand this is a partnership. This is a relationship. It's mutually beneficial, and that's okay. I mean, like capturing that data and doing um, and, and using it with them can be very powerful. So let me. I'm going to ask you something because I think that you brought up a good point. I think some of the. I want to find out. Maybe the answer to this is um, a, as much of a gut feel, but maybe you can give some direction on this. I'm going to start it off by asking the question and give you a little feedback. First, is the customer always right? Because what you said to me or what you said earlier was. Well, the CEO wanted to do this and we went down a path and, and in that case they were wrong. But you know what? I've, I've done customer surveys. I, I go back, let's just take an easy example. You know, I think it was Henry Ford that says, if you would ask the customer what they wanted, they wanted a faster horse. Well, did they really, it's not, so it's not maybe the customer isn't wrong. Right. They just, 
they, they only know a certain thing. Yeah. They only know what they know. So, so how can, is the customer always right? And then if, if at some point in time you say, I know you wanted a faster horse, but, but hear me out. I got this box with mm -hmm. wheels and it's and, and this pipe that smells a little funny at the very end, right? But I tell you what, it's better than what you asked for. How can you take the data and use it? Um, uh, how can you take the data? Let me let me re-ask this question. Yeah. So how do you take the data and give it back to the customer and say, I know what you asked for, but I think this is it. How do you can you do that? Is, is where does that fall in this process? Yes. And so the, it, this is where those survey questions become so critical. Because sure. understanding the underlying problems that your customer needs to solve is how you can come with the car as a set, instead of the horse, yes. right? right? So if, if it is that you're trying to get from point A to point B faster, then that is a much different problem to solve than how do I get my horse to go faster. <laughs> sure. Challenge then is phrasing a question such that you're able to identify some of those underlying problems that uh, your product right. or service might be uniquely positioned mm -hmm. to solve. And so if you're looking at how do I get better yields, you know, have to spend less time in the field for planting or, you know, any of these other problems that farmers have on a day-to-day -day basis, being able to say, you know, it may not be in the uh, planting equipment or it may not be, you know, a faster tractor, it might be, you know, technology yeah. and, and precision planting or whatever it is. Um, and so in those cases, like, understanding what it is that they're trying to drive out becomes really important. And then your survey should be more, about you know what are the most painful parts of work experiences? Yeah. What is what is the, what what would help your business grow? Trying to identify those things as opposed to you know how satisfied are you with sales rep? Da, 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 da. And yeah. so those like this is where spending time actually developing those kinds of questions, whether it's a customer satisfaction survey or an NPS survey, yeah. becomes really. We, we face that, and, and a quick plug for, for AgriSync, I, I think I can do that as the host, right? I, yeah, I, I think, think that's But you know, one of the things that we face is, especially during the planting and harvesting season, um, our advisors get so bogged down. You know, their, their phone starts ringing at five and it doesn't stop ringing until, you know, eight, nine, ten, midnight or longer, you know. And so I think oftentimes the solution, people think, well, we need more people. We need, I need more time in the day. Those aren't live. Maybe what you need is more productivity or a different process, right? And I think it's, it's the ability to look at results. And I think when the people, they, they use this phrase too much, but that's where you do need to think outside of the box. Yeah. You don't need to say, okay, well, here are our financials and to hire someone else, we just can't do it. I don't know what we're gonna do. You don't have to say, we don't, maybe we don't need to hire someone else. Right, and say another body is a tactic in search of a solution, perhaps. Like it's ah. one of those things that you, like if you think you already know what you mean, if it's more people, yeah. then are, are those more people really solving your problem? And it might be in such a case as the, you know, spring planting and, and fall harvest that maybe you really do need, you know, some kind of cycle where you yeah. expand your workforce in those seasons and yep. contract in the off seasons, or there, it might just be, coming up with the technology solution yep. so that you can answer questions more quickly. You know, then there are also things that you can do nothing about. Weather, <laughs> sure. you can't, doesn't matter how much right. science and technology you have, yeah. you can't do anything about the weather. And so like it, focusing too much on the things that you can't control can also be crazy thinking. And so you want to be very careful that you're focusing on the levers you can pull that are things are in your arsenal that you can do but, and not focus on the, the things that you have no control over. So um, we're going to wrap it up here in just a, in a moment or two, but I, I want to ask another, uh, just a couple more questions. So we've gone out there, we've captured all this data. Um, even to a degree, we probably had had some sort of senior level buy-in, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, but how do I package it now? How do I take this data? I'm going to use the word objective, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's probably, um, 
how do I take it and give it to the leaders, the leadership and say, hey boss, this is what we got, what do we do now? Um, when I do those kind of uh, report outs, those kind of analytic presentations, I look at the highs and the lows. Yes. So what are some of the things that we know we need to address? So these are some challenges in our organization. This is either we've got a perception problem, or we've got our sales forces and how to fully train, like those kinds of things. Yep. Identify those, pull them out first, and then identify two or three things mm. that you can do within the next 12 months to change those outcomes. And so make it very um, uh, solutions oriented. Okay. If, if I am a middle manager and I'm trying to look like a rock star to my boss, <laughs> th this is what I do is I say, here's three problems that I've noticed based on the data. And here are three solutions that I think we can implement in the next six or 12 months yep. that can drive different outcomes. And so that's one way to do it. The other thing you can do is if you get the data back and, and you're finding that you're doing really well at everything and there isn't like a yeah. clear problem to be solved, you can say is, you know, these are the top three things that are driving, you know, revenue, sales, whatever the metric is for your organization, customer satisfaction. So-and-so is really good at that. And so-and-so scores really kind of drove the yeah. data upwards. I want to make them our um, professional training sure. um, person, or I'm going to put them in a more yeah. of a leadership role so they can get more people doing what they're doing. The risk with that in the sales environment is that you take, if you take a salesperson out right. of sales and put them into management, yep. you might lose the rep. And right. so can you put in a coaching or right. a... Um, kind of environment or do like write-alongs yeah, to help skill other people up. So identifying, you know, rock stars, sharing those skills and talents with others in your organization so you can develop more rock stars. So either focus on where there's opportunities for easy performance improvement yep. or where are you winning using that data to um, create yeah. more people that can win at that level. Well, that, I mean, that's great because you, you brought up a good point. Like we don't identify a lot of problems. You're saying that that's one, it sounds like it's, it's feasible. This, given your experience, this is happening. Yep. And that's okay. We... I have I have worked with organizations personally that have said no we're great at everything they take something they're like oh okay maybe we're not as great at everything and then some say well you know they're probably more humble organizations tend to be a little bit better at that because that's a little bit part of their culture but even then you're saying there's good stuff that can happen how can we stay great how can we continue to leverage because not, something isn't always forever there's another right. company out there that's maybe doing the same thing and says the acne is eating our lunch right now how do we how do we go out and do this so acne has to stand out. Game. How yep. can we leverage those people to get better? That's, exactly That's a really good point. Let me ask this real quick. Uh, frequency, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to ask you, and I'll have one more question after that. So the frequency of these things, we, we, we've touched on and danced around a little bit at the beginning. I know the answer is always it depends, but give a, a just a, a projection like, what do you think? Uh, monthly, quarterly, yearly, every decade? What In terms you, of the, doing a customer satisfaction yeah, survey? A, or a touch a, point uh -huh. or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, it does depend, but I would, you know, say annually is probably the best practice. Sure. Getting that baseline is critical first. And so getting some kind of jumping off point is going to be really important because then you can start tracking quarter over quarter, year over year data. In this industry, because of its secular nature, nature, Secular, yeah. Thank you. Nature, <laughs> annual might be best, right? right you might right. you might want to catch them um, either right after they've used your product a lot yep. or right before they're going to use your product a lot. And yep. so like choose a time in the calendar, you know, is it summer? Is it, is it, if there's a break, there's a pause um, coming off of planting and you're getting ready for harvest, that might be perfect. Right. Or you might find that you're likely to get better responses if you wait until December um, when, you know, the customer is kind of in their annual. Yep. Or you might find that, October is the best because that's when you're getting the most pain phone calls, right? Sure. And so the, you, yeah. if you, it depends on what you want to find out. So choosing when to ask those questions becomes really, really critical because you're 
going to get data based on what's happening in real time. There's that recency effect, right? And so whatever happened most recently for that farmer is going to be what you're going to hear about. Yep. And so you know, being really strategic about when to do that, but annually is a typical best practice. Yep. And then doing it at the same time every year so that when you're doing your year data reports for your leadership team, yep. it's not arbitrary. Because if you choose one year to do it in September and the next year to do it in March and the next year to do yeah. it in July, those data points are going to be all over the place, not because anything that you're doing in yep. terms of your customer satisfaction, but because of where the farmer is in their sure. journey. Every year. Well, I, I recall this way, 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 way back when, when I was uh, an undergraduate and um, as, a, as a professor, I'm sure you can appreciate that when you ask the students, yes, you don't do it after finals. No. <laughs> and, and, you, and you don't do it after final grades. Even exactly. Right. But, but I've always, I, I, I recall that it was somewhere about three quarters of the way through. So I knew who, I knew who uh, Professor Heidi was at this point in time. Right. I, I, I got a good sense of who she was. I don't know if she's going to give me an A or a B or worse yet. Uh -huh. So. I'll give her the benefit of the day. That's exactly right? right. When you ask is a really important, it's, yep. and it's funny you should mention that because this year uh, at Drake, we did change that. We um, used to do them by paper and we would control the day the students took the oh. satisfaction surveys. Or it's, I don't call them that. That's essentially what they are. And now it's like a three-week window. And so the professors don't have control over when those questions are being answered. <laughs> so you can't just announce, I'm canceling the assignment for today. Here, take now, the who survey. Wants to take a survey? <laughs> right? right. Um, which was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it, it'll be, so yeah. now we're setting a new baseline. Yep. Um, and the same thing will be true for your customers. Is, yep. you know, when you decide to give that survey, it will be critical. And if you want to hear pain, give it at a point of the year where you're getting a lot of calls of complaints. Get the data that you Don't you worry about it. You'll yeah. get the data you want. Exactly right. So last question for you, and I, uh, again, I know that, that there's there's going to be exceptions to every rule, but like, let's say I'm a, I'm a listener and I said, okay, this sounds good. What what do you think my first next step is? If, if I'm not, there's, let's assume that you always have to ask right? right? to say, hey boss, can we do this? What are my next steps? Is, is it, uh, I, I think you mentioned deciding what to do, but like, what should I go to my boss with and say, hey, I think we need to do this? Or what are those first steps before actually implementing? Um, I would say the first step is kind of create a high-level plan uh, as to what it is that you think needs measured. Okay. Is it satisfaction? Is it loyalty? Is it something else? Then create a strategy around how you think you might be able to do that. And so we are concerned that we're losing customers to a competitor who has either better quality products, better service, higher touch, like whatever it is. Create a hypothesis as yep. to what you think is happening and then create survey questions or a strategy on how to tackle. Don't step into the answer right away, you know, hire more people, <laughs> right, right? Yeah. right? And set yeah. things to take a step back and, and do a macro and micro analysis of what's happening in the environment. Yeah. And, then, and then from there, determine what kind of questions are going to get you the answers that will help you solve the problem. I'm starting to think to myself, I'm like, all right, so for the listening audience, any of those who are uh, our current customers of ours, be prepared to get a survey. You might get the answer to the NPS. So. Um, Heidi, this has been fantastic, and I do want to say thank you to you. I want to say thanks to Drake University for letting us borrow for you for the day. I, I believe your finals are over. Yes. And maybe the survey results are in at this point. Uh, yeah, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be what it's going to be at this point. So um, this has been super helpful, um, and I, I'm hoping that uh, the the audience can be able to take it and run with it. I know that they will. I know I gathered a lot of stuff. So again, I do want to thank our friends um, at Precision Farming Dealer for giving us this opportunity today to interview Heidi and be part of this uh, limited podcast series. Again, this is Michael with AgriSync. If you'd like to learn more about this and the other podcasts that we've done to help you better improve your customer service strategy, go to agrisync.com slash customer service. Heidi, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care.
With that, I'd like to conclude today's podcast by again thanking our guest, Heidi Mandiner, marketing professor at Drake University, for her time and insights. As a follow-up, you can download our e-guide designed to help provide you guidance on knowing what tools to use when trying to measure the customer experience by visiting agrisync.com slash customer service. Finally, we'd like to thank our friends at Precision Farming Dealer, who is our partner in crime in presenting this limited podcast series. Precision Farming Dealer is the authoritative source for information on selling, servicing, and supporting precision farming technology and the trends shaping the future of the industry. Stay up to date with the latest and most important precision news and information by signing up for your free Precision Farming Dealer online account at www.precisionfarmingdealer.com slash register. 